0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., you know who's on the show today. I do. It's Chris Gillibo. He started something called the World Domination Summit.
1: Yes, which I love that name.
0: I love it, too. <laughs> yes. And the summit is basically about how to take over country by country the world... And so it's about military, it's about ammunition, mm. it's about weapons, mm. I, I'm supposing. I don't know. No. no. <laughs> I don't feel like it is. I don't feel like it
1: is. I have not been. You have been. So don't even be like, you've been. Cheney I not Cheney is the main speaker.
0: No. no. Kim Jong-un no. has a breakout no. session.
1: No. No. <laughs> no.
0: It's about... How good colonialism actually is. No, no. <laughs> well, that's not what it's about. Not at all. <laughs> I've actually been. I was asked to speak there thinking that's what it was, and I was surprised. Seriously, did you when really think that's what it was? <laughs> no, I didn't think that's what it was. A pro-colonialism <laughs> approach to the world. No, yeah. that's not what it was. It's actually a bunch of entrepreneurs. It's yeah. a bunch of young, hip, awesome entrepreneurs in their late 20s and 30s, early 40s, who are just taking over the world. And what I love about it, it's this conference that basically says, the world is ours now. We're not going to sit around and be consumers. We're going to be creators. We're going to be people who make things and sell things and do things and change things. It's
1: our world, so let's take responsibility for it versus like blaming other people and throwing everybody under the bus. Let's actually take ownership and say, this is our world. Let's make it the world we want it to be.
0: It's so fun to be in a room with a group of people like that. It's the best audience I've ever spoken in front of. It's actually a funny story because— Tim and I were backstage at this conference, and I'm supposed to speak. And Chris was sort of a stickler, as he should be when he got 3,000 people in the room, that you ended on time. Yeah. And I'm looking at the clock of the guy in front of me. The guy in front of me was, I can't remember his name, but you know he sat at the piano, and he had the Portland... Gay Men's Choir as uh-huh. his backup uh-huh. band, and he was singing a song that went on forever <laughs> called Lazarus Come Out uh-huh. the name of the song. And I literally, as soon as he took the stage, I looked at Tim and I went, this is going to go long. <laughs> <laughs> this guy likes being up there a lot. It's going to go long. Certainly, it went 15 minutes long. And we had timed it. We're like, when I was done with that talk, I had to run out the back door so we could get to the airport to get on this flight yeah. to get up to Canada. <laughs> it was very clear. We're going to miss that flight, yeah, and this yeah. guy keeps going. Anyway, the chorus was, Lazarus, come out. You know, like come out of the closet is what they're saying, right? Lazarus, come out. And I walked out. My opening line, he just handed me my opening line. My opening line was, I've never wanted my name to be Lazarus so bad. (laughs) 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 As I do right now. The laughed and I was like, we're off to a good start. Anyway, had to cut 15 minutes off my talk, but that's okay. It was worth it for the joke. And now I have the album, I just listen to it all the time. All the time. Over and over. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Anyway, it was it was a wonderful conference and Chris is a great guy. He, Chris basically, you know, I think his passion is to help people get their dream off the ground. Yeah. Specifically in business. Like if you have a business idea make it happen. You know, accept responsibility for this passion that has born yeah. inside of you and bring it to birth, right? Make it happen. And so he's got a book called The $100 Startup that he released a few years ago. It's a New York Times bestseller. And he's releasing a book now called Side Hustle. So let's say you got a job and you're like, you know, I kind of want some side money. I want a side business that may or may not turn into the full-time thing. This is your book. And he's a wonderful writer. It's Actually, kind of a big book, 230, 240 pages, step-by-step in 27 days, how to go from an idea to actual income. Oh, wow. I know. I'm telling you, the guy's smart. Yeah. The guy knows how to package his material. (laughs) We had a wonderful conversation earlier in the week. I can't wait to share it with our audience. Have you ever had a side gig? Did you ever have like anything on the side that you you did for money?
1: Yeah. I delivered newspapers. When you were a kid? Not necessarily like a passion project, but no, I delivered newspapers as an adult actually to make a little extra money on the side (laughs) so that I could do some extra things. My mom used to, (laughs) my mom would make crafts at Christmas like for bazaars. And so I actually took that on as an adult. And sold them? Yeah. I would made like these mice that had Hershey's Kisses in their mouth when you squeezed them, and I made bears that were decorated for Christmas as How like old a you side then? thing. Thirty <laughs> seven. Yeah, it was last week. <laughs> no, I was. It was after college. I actually did like really? did like craft. Did fairs, you sell like, them like Christmas. down at the church craft fair? Yeah, that's fun. or like at bazaars and things like that where you'd rent a table and do like. I did like army men that were made out of clothespins and stuff. Yeah, it was, uh, you're yeah. giving me an idea for a hidden camera show.
0: <laughs> so you and I would actually, because you were going to do that Bad a Brothers show. You had that uh-huh. pilot thing with you yeah. and your brother, and you'd try to go around breaking obscure laws to, in order to teach history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and I could do a hidden camera show where we just go to these church craft fairs and just have really, <sighs> we just sell really stupid things. For instance, like oh, a, a watermelon like sling.
1: A watermelon <laughs> sling to carry around <laughs> over your shoulder. I actually, well, no, I, like a baby. I like that. Yeah. You carry it in front of you. No, but then, that's actually genius.
0: I think it is genius. Yeah. And then you could cut You cut a hole in it and you get a spoon. You could eat right out of the sling. Brilliant. So you can actually do, you throw a frisbee and eat, you can't throw a frisbee and eat watermelon at the same time. Big problem. At a picnic. Big so you problem. do the watermelon sling. Yep. And you just get people's responses to it. I like it. I,
1: like <laughs> it. I don't
0: think that's going anywhere. Nope. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to start that as a side business, the watermelon sling. Nice. And anybody else who has a dream like mine should not be so diminished by their Mm -hmm. (laughs) co-host.
1: I've only encouraged you in everything you've ever wanted to do.
0: You are now director of of Watermelon Slings. (laughs) I'm in. Okay. Anyway, tons of advice. If you do have a passion or a side hustle that you're wanting to get started, you're going to love this interview. I'm not going to wait any longer. Here's my conversation with Chris Gillibo. Chris Gillibone, welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast. Don Miller, thank you so much for having me. I would assume that you are the type of person who it drives them crazy when they find out somebody has a dream and they aren't acting on it. I would say that is correct. <laughs> I mean, really, do you, when you know you're at a cocktail party and a friend says, "Yeah, I really want to do this thing, but I'll never be able to," and plus I'm stuck in my nine to five job, do you right. do you like lose sleep that night thinking about them? Because I mean, your books are hundred dollar startup side hustle born for this. I mean, you're trying to activate people.
2: Yeah. I mean, I am trying to activate people, but let me go back just a little bit. I don't know that I would say I lose sleep or it drives me crazy because I think people are in different phases and different seasons in life. And I can kind of go back to like times in my life when I had a dream, but I was kind of stalled out or didn't pursue it actively. So I guess my hope is for some of those people that maybe it's just not the right time and they're going to find something that will be a catalyst or an amplifier and kind of push them along. But yeah, I guess maybe when people are continuously in that place, you know, you ever meet somebody and they like tell you the story and then like you see them six months later and it's the same story and then six months after that, the same, that Uh, does get a little frustrating.
0: Yeah, I would think so. World Domination Summit is a wonderful group of people that you've curated this incredible conference. And the way I describe it to people is it's a group of people, thousands of people who all uniquely accept complete agency over their lives, and even probably the state of the world. I mean, they literally go, well, the world is bad, but we can do something about it. That's an incredible group of people. How did you, and I know I'm asking for you to brag a little bit, what characteristics in you drew all these people into one room? I mean, why are they so attracted to you and what you're doing? Or to each other and all that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, I don't know that they're all coming for me, and I think that's good. I think especially as the event... But they're
0: coming because of you. I mean, you're the one who's
2: created it. Sure, sure. I mean, maybe in the beginning. And like in the beginning, let's go back to like the organic growth of it. In the beginning, I went to all 50 states and I personally invited people. Like I was like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And it's called World Domination Summit. And it's about making the world a better place fundamentally. But what's it really going to be about? I don't know. Come and we'll figure it out. (laughs) So that's why it started, right? So How many
0: people were at the first one? uh,
2: 440, I believe. Well, it's a lot of people for let's
0: come and figure it out.
2: But they were following you on your blog and all that stuff, right? Sure, sure. I think I like, attracted to the idea of going to something that was a bit different from a normal conference, something that was perhaps maybe hard to describe. It's not like a conference for marketers. It's not like a conference for dentists or whatever. If we're going to sell anything, we're trying to sell the spirit of community and the spirit of adventure. Come and live outside yourself a bit. Let's pursue something bigger than yourself. And if you have a dream, maybe you'll meet some other people who also have dreams and like we can support one another. I think it's something like that. There's a business side to
0: it though. I mean a lot of the people there are entrepreneurial in spirit. How did you go from sort of you know, let's all dream together and do something kind of cool to let's make money doing this. Let's make this our lifestyle.
2: Right, right. Well, yeah, like you said there's all kinds of different people that come. WDS like we essentially operate that as a not for profit and then our you know, the money that we take in for that goes to support the event, but In terms of a lot of people that I connect with, I mean, entrepreneurship is their dream and they want to have agency over their lives and they want to have agency from the beginning of the morning to end of the night. I think I'm kind of making a little bit of a shift myself with side hustle, like my new focus, because I kind of realize that not everybody is like me. You know what I mean? Like I think for a long time we kind of assume like this is my worldview and people are connecting to me because they share that worldview. But over time I kind of realize there's a lot of people who actually like their jobs, they're working for a great company great organization or whatever, but they want to establish some freedom or some possibility or in- increased right. options on the side, you know? So that's what I'm kind of focused on now. Define a side hustle. What's a side hustle? You know, for me a side hustle is an income generating project and ideally it's some kind of asset that you're creating for yourself. So a side hustle is not a part-time job. Like I think Uber and Lyft have done a fantastic job of kind of marketing themselves as like, you know, driving for Uber is a side hustle. I think driving for Uber is a part-time job. And there's nothing wrong with having a part-time job, like we've all done that in our lives, but you're not really creating much in the way of freedom for yourself by doing that. So ideally a side hustle is something that, you're not just working your 40 hours for your job, and then you're going to work you know, 20 to 30 hours at another job, you're actually going to create something for yourself. Like you are building a bit of a brand for yourself in some way.
0: Yeah, you're sort of starting a small business, but it's not gonna dominate your focus. Do you find that a lot of people who start side hustles, it becomes their full-time thing? We just interviewed Blake McCoskey, And Blake started a, quote, side hustle with a 250 pair of shoes project. You know, he's going to provide 250 shoes to these villagers. He sold it 10 years later for
2: almost a billion dollars.
0: It's quite a side
2: hustle. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I think some people do. Uh, Some people start with the intent of, like, I want to eventually, like you know, escape my job or let's just say, leave my job to keep it neutral. Other people like have no idea. And then it does grow to something like that. And then it's also fair to say that other people like their side hustle is just something that kind of supports them or provides them this additional source of security and confidence and they can kind of look at it and say like, I made this thing and that's great too. So to me, like the difference between a side hustle and like having a quote unquote startup or being a quote unquote entrepreneur is with a lot of those other things there's a lot of risk associated with it and you're probably going to have to invest some money and you're probably going to spend a lot of time without you know seeing a return or even knowing if your idea is validated whereas with a side hustle at least ideally you're not taking a huge risk you're not making a decision for the rest of your life You are going to start something and then see pretty soon like if it's going to work or not. And if it doesn't, then that's fine. You're going to choose something different. Well, your book is a plan. Go from idea to income in only 27 days. And there are five
0: phases to your plan. One is build an arsenal of ideas. Select your best idea. Prepare for liftoff. Launch your idea to the right people. And then regroup and refine. You mind if we go through all five phases? That'd be great. What does it mean to build an arsenal of
2: ideas? I think the first problem people have when they're trying to do this is I don't know what a good idea is. Like I'm pretty good at my job, but that's what I've trained for, and I don't actually know like what makes for a good entrepreneurial idea or a good side hustle idea. So week 1 is essentially kind of trying to teach people the power of observation. Just kind of being able to observe and pay attention like throughout your daily life to notice problems or to notice things that could be made more efficient or to not only notice things in the culture but also things in your life and your background, different skills that you have that you might be able to pull out and turn into a side hustle. So that first week is all about observation. And then what do you do? Do you make a
0: list of all those ideas? Are there questions that qualify those ideas?
2: I'm a list maker myself I mean people are oriented in different ways but I am definitely a list maker like I'm always getting up every day and making my list and list of ideas so I think the main thing is like you know to use that word arsenal or a collection like I don't get to where if I want to start a side hustle I've got three or four or five or six ideas that could potentially work and one might be a service one might be a product I might think about starting a blog. might think about some kind of consulting service or maybe there's something else entirely different but like i'm getting a few different ideas and just kind of learning over time like where ideas come from how can i have more ideas that might potentially be valuable to someone.
0: And your second week, and you spend a whole seven days doing this, you select your best idea. I'm curious about what the qualifications are of, what do you mean by best idea? Is the one that's gonna make the most money, or is it the one that ignites your passions, or is it a combination of all those things? What's your algorithm, if you will, for selecting a best idea?
2: Yeah, well it could be different for different people. And so I've created this process called a Side Hustle Selector which essentially allows you to make that decision for yourself. And so you know it's a pretty intuitive process. You just kind of like write down your ideas and then you're going to rank each one of them according to a few different criteria. One of them is your motivations because I think it's important to be excited about your side hustle. It shouldn't be something that you just kind of dread to do. But also you like the profit potential, also feasibility, like how feasible is it for you to get this up and running in the next month? So you kind of like rank them according to these different ideas and then you might see something that emerges as a key theme. And then uh, I think it's also important to just kind of remind people that when you make this decision, you're not making a decision for the rest of your life. And what I've seen over and over is people kind of feel this pressure and they feel overwhelmed and like they end up not making a decision because like I don't know what decision is best, so I just don't do it. Well, with the side hustle, it's not a huge decision. It's almost like choosing a project. Right. It's choosing a project. If you do this whole exercise and you still come down to like, wow, these three ideas are ranked exactly you know, the same. Well, just pick one, right? Because the worst thing that can happen is you get tired of it and then you go back to one of the others. I've had a few businesses in my life. They've all done really well. StoryBrand is doing super, super well. But I keep
0: telling myself, well, but yeah, you're only good at this business and you're, you're only good at the last business publishing. You're not really an actual good business person. I mean, like if everything was taken away and you're making me want to start a side hustle for maybe just a couple months just to prove myself wrong. Just to kind of give yourself some reassurance. Well, I, don't, I don't think
2: you have to worry too much. It sounds like you've done pretty well. But
0: but that's not the only point of a side hustle, though, right? Side hustle is like, right. you know, live out your passion a little bit, have a great time, meet people, challenge yourself.
2: You know, it can be like a, a different extension of creativity. Yeah. That's what I've seen with a lot of people. Like, I, I just did this story about this guy in Dubai who's a managerial accountant, and he actually makes $1,000 a month producing poetry slams it's a totally different creativity process. Like he's not going to quit his job as a managerial accountant. He likes that, but he likes poetry and he's kind of found a way to teach, you know, the specific workshop format that he does and put it on. So there's all kinds of reasons, you know, why someone would, you know, choose to pursue this kind of project. And what I like about it is like, you know, we all have hobbies, like things that we do that we just enjoy and that's fine. Not everything we do should be for money, but wouldn't it be cool if you had a hobby that also actually made money? And that's what this is about. So like that guy in Dubai, it's his hobby, but he happens to get paid for it.
0: I'll be back in a moment with the rest of my conversation with Chris Gillibo. Welcome to another segment of Marketing Mythbusters. I'm here with Kula Callahan. Hi, Kula. Hey, Don. In your Wonder Woman pose. Absolutely. Every time. What is today's marketing myth?
3: Today's myth is this, an email is not effective unless it's opened.
0: Well, if nobody opens the email, how is it effective, Kula?
3: (gasps) Well, let me tell you how. Even if people don't open your emails, this is what's happening. Every day or every week, they're opening up their phone or their laptops, and they're seeing your company's name in their inbox. Right. So they're either deleting it or maybe opening it and then deleting it. But even if they don't read any of the content in the email, your name is still in their inbox, and they haven't unsubscribed yet. So really, they're thinking, maybe at someday down the road, I might need this product, and they've given me really valuable information up until this point, and I can trust them as the authority. So if I ever come across this problem they can solve, I'm going to call them to fix it. Yeah,
0: and if they didn't want to get the email from you, they would unsubscribe. Totally. So I follow folks like Jeff Walker, Mike Hyatt, who have added enormous value to my life and to my business But I don't open all their emails. I don't think they would be offended to hear me say that. But I don't unsubscribe. And the reason is, one out of every 20 or 25 of these, I'm going to have the time to open them and Mm -hmm. sit and read them. And it adds incredible value. But here's the other benefit, exactly what you said – Mike Hyatt or Jeff Walker are reminding me that they exist all the time. Absolutely. So when I think about executive coaching or I think about productivity or I think about growing a platform or if I think about launching products through email, I think about Michael or I think about Jeff because I haven't forgotten them.
3: Absolutely. And
0: so there is enormous benefit to just sending out emails every week, every couple weeks with valuable content and I wouldn't be too upset. I think our open rate tends to be between twenty and thirty eight percent. Twenty mm-hmm. would be on the low. Those are pretty good numbers. Right. I don't worry about the seventy percent of people who don't open it because they saw my name and they're not forgetting that Donald Miller or Story Brand exists. Right. So I wouldn't get dismayed about that stuff at all.
3: And that's also not an excuse to send silly emails or stupid emails no. that don't provide value, right? No, like, should, of course you want you your emails. You still
0: got 38% opening them. You yeah, have to totally. Value.
3: And on the off chance that of one of the 70% hops in their inbox and opens them, you don't want to lose their trust, right? So you continue yeah. to add value, establish yourself as the authority and the expert, and give them useful advice that they can take and help solve a problem that they have. So that when they, again, encounter that problem down the road, they're going to think of you because they've seen your name over and over again.
0: That's that's exactly it. Well, listen, if you're not doing email marketing, you need to start. StoryBrand is built on email marketing. It is still extremely valuable. And you say, Don, everybody's doing email marketing now. Well, that means less people are actually going to give you their email address. But anybody who does give you their email address is a seriously qualified customer, mm-hmm. and you can send them series of emails that basically close sales while you sleep. Absolutely. If you want to know more about how to create what we call a sales funnel— that is a lead generating PDF that gets an email address that follows up with very strategic specific emails that work as a sales force that you don't have to pay. It just works while you sleep. It's all automated and digital. You can learn more at storybrand.com slash roadmap. We actually have an online course that will teach you to create a sales funnel and will teach you how to write emails that hopefully do get open, but even if they don't, they're going to increase brand awareness and they're going to increase the percentage chance that customers will contact you. Just go to storybrand.com slash roadmap, storybrand.com slash roadmap. Kula, thanks again. Thank you. Once we've chosen our best idea, we selected it using your uh, tool. We're into week three. We're already three weeks into this thing, 14 through 21 days. We're preparing for liftoff. What do you do when you prepare for liftoff?
2: Well, When you prepare for liftoff, you're going to do everything you need to do to get that project out to the world. So you're going to define your deliverables. Like, what is it that I actually need to create? Do I need a website? Do I need you know something else? So I have this like, thing called create a side hustle shopping list. Like, let's figure out what tools I need. That can be kind of overwhelming to people because there's so many different resources online. So let's really simplify that and make a list. Then, of course, we're going to figure out what is my offer. I've got an idea, but an idea is not an offer like people don't buy ideas you know they buy a product they buy a service it could be something different but let's you know go from idea to offer you know as quickly as possible and so i'm trying to help people do that in different ways so after we sort of organize here's how we're going to get it to the world here's what i need to do to get it to the world
0: here's what i'm going to charge for it we go into the final week day 21 through 27 launch your idea but you actually say launch your idea to the right people who are the right people well first of all how do you launch it do you make a big drama out of it or and then what do you mean by the right people
2: <laughs> yeah i don't think i have a drama chapter i should i probably probably go back and add that <laughs> theater much theater right 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 well I, mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with a theatrical approach i mean that can work for some people but I mean, the main thing is like uh I'm proud of this thing. How can I share it to people and how can I share it with the right people? As you said, like, who are my ideal customers? So try to encourage people to think not so much about a target market or about demographics even necessarily, but maybe even getting just more specific and like, who's that one person out there with the pain point or with the problem that I'm trying to solve, like, what are their goals? What are their aspirations? And if I create this thing, you know, how's it going to make their life better? And also how can I connect with those people? So I'm trying to encourage people to get this process going pretty quickly. Like you might notice, you know, it's five weeks and like the fifth week is about refining and regrouping. But within a month, like within four weeks, you're actually putting this out into the world. Yeah, you're actually
0: selling it already. And I actually like week five almost the most out of all this because, you know, a lot of people, they'll try something, it doesn't work, and they'll say it didn't work. I can't tell you how many times at StoryBrand we've launched something and we weren't happy with the results and sat down and refined it and saw it double, triple, quadruple in interest and revenue. Because we sat and refined it. I think it's one of the most important things you could possibly, you're just not going to get it right the first time. And the chances of you getting it right the first time are very
2: slim. I think what people expect when they haven't done this before, they start their project, they think one of two things is going to happen. It's going to be this huge success, or it's going to be like a colossal failure. And what often happens, like you've experienced this, is like, it's not either one of those. It's kind of in the middle. Like your idea works a little bit, but not quite, you know, what you expected or what you hoped for. But you learn something, you gain some information that you can then go back and tweak and make some changes. And then you may see that big success at the end, you know? Or you may decide, actually, I tried that. Like, let's actually not do that. Let's go back to that, you know, week two. Let's go back to my side hustle selector and let's choose something different. But the quicker you can get to that process, the better.
0: This seems like a fun book if you have a small group of friends who have a little bit of entrepreneurial instincts or don't to actually do a 30 day let's meet once a week small group, if you will, community, and everybody try to do it and report back to each other and keep each other coming. You have anything like that going on?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to start these groups uh, pretty awesome. soon. I'm going to do a 100-city yeah, to book tour, and not just in all the cities I'm going to, but anywhere. People can go online and get some resources and, and just have their own group, and that would that be totally free.
0: Okay, Chris, what can life look like if we actually buy the book, get into one of these small groups, get inspired? Tell me some stories of people who started a side hustle and how it worked out.
2: Okay, yeah, I'll give you a couple of stories. Uh, one story is of a guy who goes on a cruise with his wife, right. and they weren't super into cruising. Like I think uh, in-laws gave them a gift certificate or something, so they went. And they actually had a good time. Came back and said, "Well, that was better than we expected." But before they left, this guy had a bunch of questions, and he couldn't find answers to them online. So his questions like, "Can I watch Netflix on a cruise? Like, how does the internet work? You know, stuff like that." Yeah. So he's a copywriter by background, so he uses his skill. And he creates a little WordPress blog, really, really simple. I like think he spent a couple hundred dollars on design or something. And the whole WordPress blog is essentially answering questions about cruises. So, you know, for example, he creates a post, can I watch Netflix on a cruise, you know, and writes the answer to that. And he just keeps doing this and doing this. And he basically connects that website to Google AdSense to where when visitors come to the site, they'll read his answer. If they click one of the links, you'll get paid a small commission. Right. In about six months, uh, he's making $3,000 a month wow. from the site. That's amazing. And so he just keeps adding to it and adding to it. But it's basically passive income, It's just a right? niche.
0: Like nobody had ever thought of that and nobody had ever done it. That, that makes sense.
2: Right. So like nobody had ever done it, but a lot of people were searching for that information. Yeah. Like there's like 100 million subscribers to Netflix and presumably some of them go on cruises, but they couldn't find that answer. And so maybe that's one thing. Um, there's a guy who goes to Nepal. Like he's from Canada, meets a woman, gets married. She's from Nepal. They go to Kathmandu for their honeymoon. And while they're there, they notice that cashmere is pretty cheap in Nepal because that's where cashmere comes from. So they decide to buy like $1,000 worth of cashmere, take it back to Canada and start this little business called Kerala Cashmere. Now they both had their day jobs, like they're still doing their day jobs, but they were able to resell that first investment of $1,000 of cashmere for about $5,000. Wow. So they make a profit with that. They send a portion of the proceeds back to Nepal to improve girls' education there, and they place another order. And so, over the course of a year, like they're building that little side hustle up, they're hoping that one of them is going to be able to go full time with it. Maybe it will become something much bigger. You know, maybe it will become like Tom's shoes, but maybe it won't. And that's okay too. Like it's still an asset that they're creating for themselves. They're doing something that's good in the world as well. So, it, you know, for them, it meets a lot of different needs.
0: I love this idea and I love this book, Chris. Thanks so much for your inspiration. First of all, starting businesses is just a blast. You know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to, if it's a messy process, it's never not a messy process but I think a lot of folks are missing out on stuff. If you don't give it a try once, if you had to stop right now, if you had to stop doing everything you're doing, and you had to start a new side hustle, Chris, what would it be? I'm curious.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Stop everything I'm doing. I mean, I know it would be something with writing and connecting with people, which is what I'm doing now, but it would be in a different way. Like, I don't know if I choose a different topic, if I would go back to like my days living in West Africa as an aid worker, like maybe there's like a group of people there that are underserved in some way. So I think I would still use those same skills, but maybe with a different approach.
0: I love it. I'd start a lawn maintenance business. Can you believe it? Okay. Because I love mowing the lawn.
2: Okay. (laughs) I really do. Would you
0: love mowing other people's lawns like every day? I just want to be on the lawnmower, mowing the lawn, and then somebody else has to come and actually do the weed eating and stuff. But I think I'd be happy. That's my side hustle. I'm going to get it going. Sounds great. Man, thanks for giving us your time. The book is called Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. It's by the author Chris Gillibo. G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E-A-U. And you can actually go to SideHustleSchool.com to learn more about it. By the way, terrific website. Wonderfully designed. Oh, thanks. I didn't design it myself. Well, you did a great job with it. Whoever, somebody did a great job with it. Chris, thanks so much for taking time today.
2: Thank you guys so much.
0: JJ, Chris's book is called Side Hustle. It's
1: out now. Yes. Are you going to get a side hustle? I'm hoping to. (laughs) A little money on the side? (laughs) Yeah. I got to turn this around a little bit. Well, we got going? on a story brand. I got a little side hustle going. Got to get that happening. I think you should. This is a bonus episode. Yeah. A
0: lot of people think nobody cares about me. Nobody gives me anything special. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives me anything mm-hmm. extra. Yep. StoryBrand does. Yeah, because we love people. (laughs) We do. We actually have another snippet of an interview. It's not like a teaser. It's the whole interview. Yeah. But it's Molly Fletcher. Remember Molly Fletcher? Love her. She's the female Jerry Maguire. Yes. She also wrote a book. You know, we talked about her last book when she was on about being fearless at work, Mm -hmm. The the Importance of Courage. Mm -hmm. But she actually wrote a book on negotiation. Yep. And she's negotiated like half a billion dollars or something like that in sports contracts. Yeah. With major league athletes, you know, like getting uh-huh. more money. And she wrote a book called A Winner's Guide to Negotiating. I love the title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plain and guide. simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't be a loser. <laughs> Don't be a loser's guide to negotiating. No, it's yes. yeah. not a loser's guide to negotiating. It's a yes. winner's guide to negotiating. How conversation gets deals done. Boom. By Molly. Fleshy. I love Molly Fletcher. I do too. And what I love about this is it's totally practical. Yep. So if you're going to go buy a lawnmower here pretty soon, you're <laughs> going to buy a house. You have <laughs> I have done. I have used these techniques <laughs> yeah. in buying a lawnmower if you're going to negotiate anything then you need these techniques and want to be a winner we had a conversation in the office the other day about buying a car mm-hmm. like give me your car buying story mm-hmm. last car i bought i walked in and i said this is the truck i want here's what i want to pay for it yep and in 31 minutes i'm walking yep and they did it in under 30 minutes i had i had that truck and i was yeah. walking out Susie in our office, our newest team member, she's uh-huh. incredible. She had the opposite story. She basically researched what's the lowest possible price. And she had some inside information because uh-huh. she has like family in some sort of car business. Uh-huh. She, had ins- she knew the lowest possible price that she could get for this car. And she goes to the car dealership. First of all, she knows she's going to be there a while. She packs snacks. <laughs> That's my favorite part, of the whole story. She packs snacks. She goes to the car dealership. She tells them, I want to pay this. They uh-huh. say no. Uh-huh. We're not going to sell you the car. I mean, they're going to make like $38 yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the deal. Yeah, Like, we're not, we're not doing that. And he goes, okay, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait here. Like, what do you mean you're going to wait here? We're not going to sell you the car. Well, I'm going to wait here. She's there for eight hours. No. They sold her the car.
1: Oh, my gosh. And I have the not heard wanna, this story. That's amazing. Yeah. It doesn't make
0: you love Susie. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. welcome to the team. I know, seriously. You are on our team. We want that sort of I persistence. I send her in for
1: all my negotiations. That's
0: exactly <laughs> it. We, what can we get her to negotiate? Yeah. Anyway, so there's all sorts of techniques, but Molly Fletcher is the pro, and yeah. so she's going to share several techniques on negotiating that I bet you you will use today. i bet you some of these you're going to walk away you're going to get to the office after you listen to this and you're going to use them in about eight minutes so listen carefully they're pretty powerful here's my uh, bonus interview with molly fletcher on negotiating molly fletcher great to have you back it's a pleasure last time you were on we talked about being fearless at work and people love that interview But I want to talk about negotiating, because you've negotiated a half billion dollars worth of deals for athletes, and uh, you know what you're doing. And everybody listening to this has to negotiate something probably this week. Absolutely. And so I wanted to give them your wisdom. There's a bunch of keys to negotiating. You've got a book on that. But can you just give us maybe four tips, four strategies we need to remember when we're negotiating?
4: Yeah, and I'd say, too, you know, we we have an opportunity to negotiate every day, right? I think that yeah. there are more opportunities to negotiate than maybe sometimes people realize. And so I would encourage people to recognize that it's all around us. It's every day. It's not just our salaries and our bonuses, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be lawnmowers. It can be the paint guy. It can be the yard guy. It can be – I mean, it's just – it's everywhere. Well, so, you're,
0: if you're a good negotiator, even if you don't you own the company – Yeah, (laughs) but literally, like, one of my guys came back, and, you know, I knew that this company wanted X amount, and he came back and said, well, we got $40,000 off of that. He became very valuable in my eyes. Absolutely. So even if you're in middle management, you go back to your boss and say, yeah, I actually cut $20,000 off of that and negotiated a little bit with them." Nobody's going to forget that if they're your boss. They're going to remember that.
4: Absolutely, and no matter where you are in an organization, too, I think. Yeah, I I
0: believe it. Yeah. Okay, what's the first thing So, I mean,
4: I think, first of all, you've got to really set the stage, right? So, I mean, I think you've got to make sure that you've got the foundation to be reasonable and realistic. I mean, the last thing you want to do is – you know, I can't go ask a NBA team right now to pay me $10 bucks a year. I mean, you know, I'm a 45-year-old female. I ain't getting it. <laughs> so you need to be realistic in what you're asking for, and you've got to set the stage for that, which means I think you've got to do your research. So when we were negotiating player contracts, I need to make sure I got all the comparables on, if it was a second baseman, all the other second basemen in the league that had the same amount of service time as that athlete. And I would break down all those stats and look at those so that I was – very well prepared for those difficult conversations. So you've got to have all your stuff squared away. You've got to set the stage, which to me is really important. And then I think you've got to connect. I think the interesting thing is is a lot of people hear the word negotiation and they kind of cringe, right? Yeah, they think, yeah. oh man, that's a really kind of, that's no fun. And to me, negotiation at the end of the day is about connection.
0: It's Beca- a people thing.
4: It's a people thing. And, yeah, and that, by the way, is one of the things I think you should never sort of do online. Uh, you know, I think you always want to negotiate live if you care about getting the really, deal I've done. I've heard
0: that a lot. Like, yeah. get on a plane. Go talk to them.
4: Yeah, or if you have to be on the phone, that's okay, but absolutely not over email, whatever. Right. That, to me, doesn't work because you get so much back in the moments from the tone and the timing of the other person. So... To me, finding common ground is imperative. You've got to find a way to connect. Is this all part of framing? No, this is a different point. So I think, number one, you've got to set the stage. Number two, you've got to find common ground. In other words— What's
0: a win for both of us
4: here? What's a win for both of us? And I think, you know, it's little things like you've got to use the word we. Mm -hmm. I used to sit with GMs and say, you know, we want to keep him here, don't we? I mean, if we keep him here, the fans are happy. It's we. It's not don't you want to keep him here. I mean, it's just those subtle things I think are key. And you want to connect, and and I think you want to stay curious in those moments. So some people that are listening going, well, yeah, but this guy is so hard to connect with. It's just brutal. I think you've got to stay curious in those moments. So sometimes when we're trying to find common ground or connect, we may get defensive. I mean, there was a lot of times that I wanted to get up and walk out of the office or walk out of a room or whatever it might be. But in those moments, the more curious we can be, the more we can figure out what is their position. Why are they hanging their hat on this topic, this thought, this point, whatever it is? So I think you've got to stay curious so that you can connect.
0: I would imagine a lot of people, when they go in and negotiate, they think of themselves automatically as adversarial. They and do. That's a, that's a
4: mistake. Absolutely. You right? want to, Yes. Because
0: you, you're how looking can for you how get to, a
4: deal done when you're yeah. not connected or you're sideways? Yeah. And so, how can
0: I provide so much value for what you want that you're willing to pay for it? For sure. That you get a big return on this investment.
4: Right. But to me, I mean, you know, having that relationship with GMs, with manufacturers, if it was a golfer, with teams, if it was a go- is imperative. We don't have to be sideways to get deals done. And I think if you want to get a deal done with somebody and do more than one, right, mm-hmm. it's even more important to make sure that you can act. And then once we ask for what we want, if we've set the stage and we've found common ground, then we can ask for what we want, Right. Because we've set the stage, we found common ground, so now we can ask. Yeah. And that's, you know, I told that on our previous podcast, that story about one of my guys. But you've got to ask for what you want, and then you've got to pause. Yeah, you
0: talk about this the power of the pause. And you mean it literally.
4: Totally. Like a pause can be (laughs) a minute and a half, it can be. A week, it can be a month, it can be, you know, who knows how long a pause can be, but the power of the pause is a big deal because, and that's to me the mistake that people make. So like, you know, you've been working on a lot, you said, right? Uh, A little bit. So, you know, when you do abs and you've got like the little medicine ball and you're throwing it back and forth to each other, right? (laughs) And so, you know, when you, when you throw that medicine ball over and they just catch it and they're doing their setup and it's their turn to me, that's what the questions like in that power of the pause, right? You just sort of throw that medicine ball over and they're just and they're struggling with it. They're struggling with it. And in that moment, it's easy to go, you know, I think he deserves $27 million because, you know, when you really think about it, I mean, when you compare him to, you can keep talking. Yeah, he's backpedaling at that point. But if you found common ground and set the stage, then you can just say, look, you and I both know he deserves $27 million, and just stop. And they're holding that medicine ball, man, and they're going, oh, and you just hold that space and get a raw reaction. In that moment, you get a lot back. You get a lot back. So to me, the power of the pause is a huge, huge part of, of the negotiation process. that it was one of the chapters of the book that, that a lot of people really connected to, that you know the media kind of grabbed. I mean, people just feel like that's one of, the, one of the most important pieces. I think that's an often kind of a big gap for people, because it's pretty weird, right? If you're negotiating a contract with somebody to ask that and then just hold that space. Yeah. It's not comfortable. <laughs> I
0: can't wait to try that. I gotta I go want find you to. something to buy. I yeah. Need a lawn tractor. I'm going to use it.
4: Go for it, man.
0: Set the stage, find common ground,
4: ask, ask for what, what they want,
0: and the power of the pause. Amen. Four negotiating tips from Molly Fletcher. All right. If you want to know more about negotiation from Molly Fletcher, get her book, A Winner's Guide to Negotiation, A Winner's Guide to Negotiation, available wherever you buy books. Molly, thanks so much for being with us.
4: It's a pleasure. We
0: always learn so much from you.
4: Oh, you're sweet.
0: You're going to let us know when the next book's out?
4: I'm on it. Every okay. t- every 12 months, you got to pop one out.
0: And you'll, you'll come on for free? Of course. Will you pay us a million dollars to come on?
4: I'm going to pause. Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Molly's terrific. I'd hate to be on the other side of that Seriously. Table. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I down. love her, but I only want her on my side. <laughs> Don, here's what we'd like to pay. Okay. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. What else can we throw in there for you? No, yeah. that's, I don't want yeah, anything else. What can you, we read it? We will give you whatever you mow want. mow your lawn?
1: Yeah. <laughs> whatever you
0: need. <laughs> anyway, she's fantastic. Next week. Another, we go from practical to practical to practical. Yeah. Ray Edwards, one of the world's most celebrated copywriters. I mean, yeah. He might be the most famous copywriter. He doesn't think so, but I can't think of anybody else who'd be more famous than Ray. No. We, do, we did an interview with him recently, and he gave us his favorite phrases. So we actually go through eight of his favorite phrases to use in copy because they work. <laughs> yeah, They work. Like he loves the word imagine. Uh-huh. Imagine if your life could look this way. He says if you can get somebody to picture their life uh-huh. and how it will look if they use your product. They'll buy your product. So he likes the word imagine. Well, there's seven more of those and you're going to get that all next week. And here's a little teaser. Here's a little clip from my conversation with Ray Edwards on practical words, actual statements that you should put in your copy.
2: We're great creatures of denial. What we will do is what we've always been doing and we will expect a different outcome. And it never happens that way. So people given the opportunity will stay with the Inertia or the, the gravity, which is don't do anything. Just keep doing what I've always been doing and wish that it worked better. Right. And so what I like to do is point out that's a flawed strategy. And I just say, if you don't do anything, it's only going to get worse. And then if I'm teaching students how to write copy, I'll say, no, just spell out the ways it's going to get worse because you know it's true. And always in a room full of people, the heads will start nodding. Oh yeah, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> whatever the business is, whatever yeah. the service is, they know if you don't do something about it, entropy will take over, it'll get worse, it'll deteriorate.
1: There you go.
0: There it is. When you hear all seven, you just start using them all the time. I know. Imagine that. Yeah. I used them to negotiate dinner tonight.
1: <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did.
0: I got, I got the dinner I wanted. Got What'd you get us? Betsy wants to do more healthy foods. I want to do burgers. Yeah. I want to do burgers.
1: I'm on your side. We'll get Molly to negotiate for us. (laughs) That's exactly
0: it. Maybe I'm not such a bad negotiator. Maybe There's there's a lot in common here in these episodes. So pay attention next week. The interview with Ray Edwards is terrific. If you haven't subscribed to the Building a Story Brand podcast, do so now. Just go to Apple Podcasts and make sure you're getting every single Mm. action-packed, value-packed episode.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) JJ has subscribed. I have. I have, actually. I
1: finally figured out how to do that. I actually, I,
0: I'm just now realizing I'm not subscribed. Done. I just go to the website and I listen to them. No. To come
1: on. Let's get those numbers up. Don't tell Tim. I won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do listen to everyone. Yeah. I go to the website and listen there. It's yeah. what I do when I clean the house. Yeah. Or listen to the clean I
1: house. finally subscribed. I figured out how to do it.
0: This conversation has clearly come to an end. Yes, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast. Where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.